Some of you may know David Weiss. His picture's on the screen. He, maybe you're related to him. I don't know. But uh, he was uh, at the Winter Olympics in 2014. He won the gold medal for freestyle skiing in the half-pipe cons- competition. And then again in 2018, he earned a second gold medal for the same event. And uh, he's 29 years old. He's married. He's got two kids. And he's a Christian. He's a follower of Christ which is most important. And David says, as he was growing up, I started reading the Koran, the Book of Mormon, the Apocrypha, and I sort of delved deep into all the other religious texts that were available to me because he was searching for truth. And then he said, I saw something different in Christianity. Jesus came down to us. He loved us enough to sacrifice his life And that changes the whole dynamic, which caused me to put my faith in Christ. And so, he says, for the first time in my life, I was truly just letting it all go, talking about how they transitioned to his skiing uh, time. And he said, "I, I was skiing just for my creator. And I was like, honestly, I don't care what the judges think of me. I don't care whether they reward me for what I do or not. I'm doing this for Christ. And that's when I started winning. If you read his story, you'll find that uh, he has gone through a lot of difficult challenges, of course, on the way. Uh, sometimes when we hear stories like this, we think, well, man, this, this dude's been, uh, everything's been given to him. And that's, that's not the case at all. Um, but anyway, after winning his first gold medal in 2014, the NBC reporter Skyler Weiler wrote, David Weiss is at the top of his sport. He's always smiling among his friends and competitors. However, he's not like the rest of the field. He is mature. What, so what's the writer talking about? Well, the dudes that are involved in the half-pipe competition, they, they're kind of in a world on, on their own, and they, they party hardy, and you know, they, they live life hard. They're saying, uh, Weiler was saying, uh, David Weiss uh, doesn't live his life like that. And the reason being, as the profile describes him, at such a young age, Weiss has the lifestyle of an adult. He wears a baby Bjorn baby carrier around the house. He also attends church regularly, and he says he could see himself becoming a pastor a little later down the road. And then NBC um, posted an article with this headline as well saying David Weiss's alternative lifestyle leads to Olympic gold. And that's kind of interesting because when you think of alternative lifestyle, people go down different trails with that. But NBC targeted David Weiss as saying, he's got an alternative lifestyle. And what would that be? Well, he's a follower of Christ. Kind of fits in with Romans 12 too, Paul writing, where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Following Christ, by the way, is definitely an alternative lifestyle in our culture today. And it's a good place to be. So we're not like the world. We are never will be. And um, some of us kind of need to get our priorities realigned to the fact that uh, Instead of fitting in, we need to start standing out among the crowd.
That's important. In fact, how do we overcome this uh, magnetic pull towards the culture that this world is modeling for us? Well, back in 1918, Helen Lemmel wrote these words, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's the key. You keep your eyes on Christ. The world becomes less valuable and important. The things of God become more of a priority. And um, that's pretty cool. In fact, C.T. Studd, we talked about him a few weeks ago, a missionary to China, other countries as well, uh, said these words, and you may have a plaque in your kitchen that say the same thing, which is only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a good reminder because this world, as you and I know it, is dying. It's going to come to an end. And instead of being swept away with it, we need to keep swimming upstream with Jesus Christ. That's the priority. On the back of your program, there's an outline, and if you need a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table that you can pick up and follow along. Um, The title is A Large Boat in a Flood, and you can guess what that's all about. And the subtitle, Living in Challenging Days, we had that same subtitle last Sunday. And um, I'm using it again because it it fits the the model of what we're going to be talking about this morning as well. You and, our, you and I are living in 2019, as you know it. We're halfway through the year, and just a heads up, uh, statistics show that, um, that uh, come July, people tend to drop off from their Bible reading plans. Um, it gets pushed off to the side, life gets busy, etc. So I just want to encourage you that, yes, we're in July, but stay with it. Uh, pull that... Pro, that uh, guide back out again and, 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 and stay with that reading program, man, because I'm telling you, uh, it's well worth it. So, um, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Genesis, um, talking about the world flood, where God talks to Noah about building a huge boat. And we know that Noah and the Ark, you know, it's kind of a, a famous story. It's been around for a while. People that don't even know the Bible, they, they've heard about Noah and, the, and his big boat, animals coming in two by two. Uh, let me tell you something. The, the um, cartoon sketches of this little boat with a giraffe sticking his head out the window, that's not the way it was. I mean, it kind of gives you a warm and fuzzy feeling, but believe me, the flood was a terrible time for humanity. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But we see that the boat floated until the water receded and the animals came out. And finally the rainbow appeared with, when God gave his promise never to send a great flood again. And uh, for those of you that might be doubting uh, the story of the great flood, all you have to do is travel, uh, open your eyes, and you'll see there's Noah's Ark 
restaurants, there's no ark paintings, music boxes, Noah's Ark t-shirts, coffee mugs. In fact, uh, you can go on the internet and there's a recipe for Noah's Ark's brownies. And if you go north about an hour, you'll see in the Wisconsin Dells, they have Noah's Ark Water Park. Have you been there? I have. Uh, One of my favorite rides, it's not a ride, uh, it's the wave pool. Because the wave pool beats the snot out of you, you know? I like that. So, um, So there you go, the Noah's Ark. It's endorsed by Wisconsin Dells, and that should make it good to go. This past week, uh, Debbie and I had the opportunity of going to uh, northern Kentucky to visit the Ark Encounter. And then um, the next day, we went to the Creation Museum, which is only 45 minutes away from the Ark. And I have to tell you that... um, Seeing the ark, when you, when you drive into the parking lot, they bus you back to where the ark is. Uh, it, it took my breath away to see the size of this thing, which mirrors the biblical uh, measurements. And it's a good reminder, friends, that not only did this happen a long time ago, but Jesus himself talked about the flood Peter talks about it, refers, goes back into history, and then he looks to the future for future world events that are going to take place. And so that's why when you think of Noah uh, and the world flood, it, it's a, it's, it, it should cause you to pause to, to look at how you're living your life and realize that we are moving towards the future at a rapid pace, and it's very, very important um, that we make wise decisions and choices in how we live on a daily basis. Hebrews 11.7 in the message puts it this way, By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result... His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. And so this morning, um, we're going to take a look at the genealogy of Noah just to build a little background before we jump into chapter 6. So if you need a Bible, grab a Bible, open up your uh, smartphone to Version, New Living Translation, Genesis 5, starting at verse 25, and then we'll, we'll move on. Uh, Genesis 5, 25. So when Methuselah was 187 years old, by the way, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Uh, it's easy to find, and uh, we're at chapter 5. He became the father of Lamech. And after the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. 969, Methuselah has the, uh, uh, the award of the longest living human being on the planet. He's got that plaque hanging in his kitchen um, up in heaven, So, um, just so you know. When Lamech was 182 years old, 
that's um, the son of Methuselah. Uh, he became the father of a son, and Lamech named his son Noah. For he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. So Lamech was, was reminiscent when he saw Noah being born and thinking, man, uh, farming this land is, is tough. And as, if you're farmed, you know, for all the farmers here today, you know, farming is tough. It's a challenge. It's hard work. Working the ground is a challenge, and it goes all the way, we dial that all the way back to when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And Lamech said, man, I see my son, and he's, he's going to bring me some relief. And just a smile on my face to see the son in my life. So after the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. And by the time Noah was 500 years old, he was the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So that, that's the background. Let's pause to pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And in a, uh, in a room like this, we, we can understand there will be some that are here, uh, maybe because they were forced to or they don't feel comfortable being here. They maybe think this is kind of doing my duty for the week. And I I think of, Lord, how you created human beings and you gave us the freedom to choose to either receive you or reject you. And I pray that those that are rejecting you this morning, that they would pause to reconsider the destiny of their lives without you. May you draw each one of us closer to you, Lord, because we've spent time with the creator of the universe, the creator of this world, the creator of our lives, the one breathing into our nostrils right now, the breath of life. May we not take that for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. So, on the back of your programs, number one, Noah's example. Noah's example uh, if you look at the, uh, in your Bibles, uh, on top of chapter 6, it says, A world gone wrong. A world gone wrong. Uh, and we can maybe say the same thing about our world today. It's, it's changing rapidly. Um, I'm going to divert for a moment here. I don't know if you saw in Russia, they recently buried 14 sailors from a nuclear sub-accident. Uh, the Russian sub was camping out on the bottom of the ocean, and our ocean is lined with cables going from country to country with the Internet, with uh, data. Um, you know, you think uh, with the Internet, it's all up in the air, but it's on cable going through the oceans. Well, the Russians, uh, the intel tells us that they were going after stuff, on the bottom of the ocean, and they had a disaster in that submarine. And 14 people died. And when you look at what's going on with China, with Russia, with Iran, North Korea, our world is very fluid right now. There's a lot of changes taking place. 
And that's why I appreciate having a relationship with Christ. When I put my head on the pillow at night, I just turn the lights off, close my eyes, and I sleep well. It's a gift from God. Because he has it all under control. But my point is this. Because this world is changing, you do not have the luxury to procrastinate or to rationalize why you can put off a relationship with Jesus. And when we look at today, Noah's example here, but Noah, verse 8, found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man and the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So let's isolate this off the top. Noah found favor with the Lord. How do you find favor? Well, we can, we can give a short answer, uh, and we can answer for Noah, and that would be uh, through obedience, obeying God. What God says, you do. You don't debate it. It starts by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. If we don't hold out on God, God will not hold out on us. And he wants to bless. He wants to put his hand upon your shoulder as you walk through this world on a daily basis. You walk with the confidence that God's favor is on my life. It doesn't make you greater than anybody else, but you walk with the sense that you are here on this planet for a purpose. God's favor is on my life. I pray that for our children. I pray that for my life. And we walk in the favor of the Lord. We position ourselves for God's favor by walking in humility and purity. That's what Noah did. He walked with humility and he walked in purity. And... um, It doesn't matter what you do in life, but God wants to help you do it. And that's where his favor comes in, man. Now, the next thing we see that Noah was, he was the only blameless person living on the earth. Now, when you read that word and hear that word blameless, it it can be a little intimidating because you think, oh, I'm not blameless, you know. I've messed up so many times and whatever the case may be. But this word blameless means uncontaminated. That's what it literally means, uncontaminated. In other words, for all of you uh, doctors and nurses and medical people out there, you know what contamination means, right? You you keep the creepy germs and bugs off you. You don't want to be contaminated. And then you do whatever you can to, to eliminate that. Well, in the same world, living in this world, every single day there's stuff floating through the air, so to speak. And you and I get the opportunity to decide, are we going to allow this stuff to get on us? Perversion. Compromise. Uh, and, and we can go on and on. Are we going to let it stick to us? That's why it's important that, uh, well, we'll get to that in a moment, where um, Noah walked in close fellowship with God. What's that mean? That means you're walking in the same direction God's going. You're keeping in step with God. 
having a, a close fellowship with God means you're spending time with him on a consistent basis. Right? Yeah, you're, you're close fellowship, man. It's a priority. You're investing in, in that relationship with the Lord. In fact, uh, Paul, talking and writing to the church at Philippi, challenged them in Philippians 2.15. He says, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So Paul, Paul's saying you don't posture yourself and position yourself that you look down on this crooked and perverse people, but you just let your light shine. You let it shine naturally. You, you live in innocent, clean lives in front of crooked and perverse people, you know? Let your light do its duty in the world. That, that's what Paul's talking about. And so um, Noah chose, in a very corrupt and vile world, he, he chose to walk in close fellowship with God. Just like you and I have to make that same decision on a daily basis. Are we going to do that or not? There was a grocer in Edinburgh, Scotland, by the name of James Saint, and uh, he had a friend that wrote a letter to James, but he mistakenly addressed it to James St. Aberdeen, Scotland. And so when the letter came to Aberdeen, the postal people searched diligently to, to find James St., but they couldn't find anybody in that community with, with that name. And so they returned the letter to sender with this notation on the envelope, there are no saints in Aberdeen, Try Edinburgh. Well, in a spiritual sense, if, if people had to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are saints. That's how God sees us. He sees us as set apart, holy people, saints, right? That's how, how do you see yourself? Well, when you put your faith in Christ, God sees you as a saint because you've got that robe of righteousness from Christ, your sins have been forgiven. That's very cool. But we see that unlike today, Noah didn't pick and choose on how he would live his life. You know, I agree with this about God and this I, I don't agree with. And so uh, that's becoming very popular in our culture today where people pick and choose what they like about the Bible and how they're going to obey the Lord. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. That's pretty straight up, wouldn't you say? If we love him, we will obey him. We'll do what he says. And so Noah, um, his righteous life was unpolluted by the world, man. He, he purposed to live a, a life honoring to God. And the, here's the cool thing. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Lord is looking. You, you may think, well, I'm going to hide in the crowd. You know, I'm just part of this lump of seven and a half billion people. And God's not going to miss me. Yes, he will. It says his eyes search the whole earth. Which leads us to number two, the world Noah lived in, verse five. The Lord observed, so his, his eyes are searching. The Lord is seeing the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He sees it. 
And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Notice everything, not some things, everything they thought or imagined consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Okay, let's pause for a moment. How do you see God? Do you see God? He's, he's old, he's angry, he's ticked off, he's waiting for you to make a mistake and then <clears throat> take you out? No, that's not the heart of God. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. That word broke means to hurt. It means pain. It means grieved. It means torture. His heart was tortured from seeing the people that he created, how they had turned away from him and against him. Every one of us in this room have experienced a broken heart, haven't we? You know the pain. You know the rejection. You know, man, I don't want to go through that again. That gives you just a small taste of what God experienced when he looked at this world. It broke his heart. It grieved him. And so... And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Now, keep in mind when you read this, it's not like God saw and boom, the flood came. We're giving in the context of the world that Noah was living in. Um, in fact, we can back up to Genesis 1 when God created the earth and the plants and the animals and Adam and Eve. And verse 31, he says, Then God looked over all he made and he saw that it was very good. It was very good. It's good. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were high-fiving each other, man. It's good. It's good. And now we go to Genesis 6 and... Um, Those who have put a lot of study in feel that from the time that God created the earth to the time of the flood, 1,656 years had passed. Just over 1,600 years from the time of creation to Genesis 6. And you might say that really isn't a, that long of a time, and it's not when you consider how long these people lived, how quick they were To forget God. So what happened? What happened? What happened? Sin. Sin came. That's what sin does. You see, the 
pain and suffering people are go through. You know. Spend some time in a hospital. Walk through the corridors. You know. Go through a nursing home. People where you work, there's a lot of people that are hurting. They're broken because sin has ripped them apart. You know. And we see that Noah remained uncontaminated in this culture because he was committed with his relationship with God. Smack in the middle of this brokenness, you had a godly man named Noah who would raise a godly family. Now, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. Kenny Luck, who has spoken at No Regrets conferences uh, at Elmbrook over the years, written several men's books. Uh, we can identify with Noah here. He says, it's men who name the name of Jesus and have a heart for him must grow a spine for him. There is nothing more pathetic than a Christian man who has a heart for God but no spine. So, Thursday morning, Debbie and I were having breakfast at the place where we were staying, and there was an older couple there. Uh, and so we started talking to them, and they were, they had been at the Ark, and they were at the Creation Museum, and they lived in Pennsylvania, and, and they were celebrating their mm, 59th wedding anniversary. And so the dude... Um, was a Marine. He had gone into the Marines and, and, uh, and then he worked for GM and he retired and, and now he and his wife had been traveling for a while. And he says, yeah, man, I, I grew up in the church and he said, you know, I got, I got those little, little tags, you know, every year you get a little pin for attendance. He said, I had 17 of them. It's kind of proud. And I was in church, and that's where I met my wife. And then once we got married, I haven't been to church since. And his wife was, just, you know, I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I love it, she said. I love it. As we talked, I've got five kids. Not one. Not one. Is plugged into a church. So, so he, he kind of boasted about the fact, I got my wife, you know, and I kind of tricked her. That's what he said, I tricked her. Yeah. You see how that impacted his kids, friends, a soul that will live forever. It's not something to joke about. The father, the man, needs to have a spine to do what's right like Noah did. And so, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Just like that. God saw and it broke his heart. That's the God 
who created you. He saw, he sees, and his heart breaks when we reject him. Number three, Noah's assignment from God, verse 13. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. So here's the assignment. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And then we jump down to verse 22. This is key. So Noah did everything. So Noah did something. So Noah decided what he would and wouldn't do. No. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. That's pretty cool. Total obedience. Total obedience. So um, let's... Can, can we pull up, uh, the, let's see, we have an image of, of uh, the boat being built. So uh, this is an artist's rendering, but this is how the boat looks at the Ark Encounter. And so 18 inches, they, the window's all the way on, on the top, and that, that's great for ventilation. Imagine with all those nifty animals. You wonder if they had Yankee candles burning inside that thing just to help out a little bit. 450 feet long. That's one full football field and a half of a football field. That's three stories high. You notice there's no engines on this thing. There's, no, there's no, nothing to drive. There's not a rudder. There's no sail. Why? Because Noah's trusting God. His life is in God's hand. It's a great place to be. And you've got ramps, one door. And notice, uh, you see all the tree stumps here? <laughs> the forestry department would freak out over that today, wouldn't they? They would just have a panic. So, um, the... Um, God didn't say to, hey, 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 Jonah, how long can you spread, how long can you tread water, man? That's what I want to know. But, but he doesn't. So um, let's take a look at the uh, next. So here's Noah's Ark in comparison. It's, it's about you know, Titanic here, Queen Mary up on top, Santa Maria right here, the Wyoming. So Noah's Ark, boom, right here. Um, that, that was a huge boat in that time of world history. It's one of the largest boats made out of wood ever. And um, so it has over 1,518,750 cubic feet. And, and we could all say, that's a bunch. Right? That's a bunch. That's equivalent to 569 boxcars. So if the average animal was the size of a sheep, it had a capacity of 125,000 animals on the ark. So um, Mark Batterson, he pastors in Washington, D.C. He's been to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., and, and this is what he said. 
if uh, the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. has 2,000 animals from 400 different species, it means you could fit 60 national zoos on Noah's boat. 60 zoos. Christian Answers website puts it this way. Remember, there are really only a few large animals, such as the dinosaur or the elephant, and these could be represented by young ones. Assuming that the average animal to be about the size of a sheep and using a railroad car for comparison, we note that the average double-deck stock car can accommodate 240 sheep. Thus, three trains hauling 69 cars each would have ample space to carry the 50,000 animals, filling only 37% of the ark. This would leave an additional 361 cars or enough to make five trains of 72 cars each to carry all of the food and baggage plus Noah's family of eight people. The ark had plenty of space. The point is, there was room on the boat for more people. Keep that in mind. Now, when, when God talks to Noah and it goes back to having close fellowship with God, that's the cool thing about God. When you spend time with him, he talks to you. He speaks through his word. And, and so God spoke to, to Noah about what was going to happen in the future. And you and I have the luxury of knowing what's going to happen in the future because of God's word, the Bible. It's all been laid out in front of you. Nothing should surprise you. And Noah wasn't surprised. But can you imagine Noah, you know? A flood? A boat? Uh, I don't think so, God. I, I just don't like that idea. You know, he, he, there's no pushback in this text. It simply says that Noah did everything God commanded him to do. Amazing. I'm sure Noah could have looked, hey, in my neighborhood, you know, I just looked on the block and nobody goes to Sunday school anymore and, and you look at what people are doing with their lives and what they're watching, the movies they're going to and the books they're reading and uh, the media they're involved in, man, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good when I compare myself to them. That's easy to do, isn't it? But we need to compare ourselves to Jesus. That's... That's the life we look to, not to each other. That's why we, there, there's so many games being played in Christendom today. I was thinking, you know, you're part of an athletic team, and you put the jersey on of the team that you're representing. You know, it's got the name on the front. Whew. But imagine, the thing in basketball, you're, you're on the box, and you're playing the nets, and you go up for a rebound, and... And instead of getting the rebound, you tip the ball into the basket. What, what do you think the crowd says? Hey, dude, are you playing for the Nets or are you playing for the Bucks? What's the matter with you? Well, that's why it is in Christendom today. People put the jersey of Jesus on, but they're playing with the world. How do you think that makes God feel? Who are you playing for? You go all in. And we see that this relationship with Jesus is not a sprint, it's a marathon. When you look at the, the amount of time 
that it took Noah to build this boat was a long time. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And Noah kept the faith throughout the, this entire process. So um, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Just a footnote, um, the, the Creation uh, Museum and the Ark Encounter, they believe that uh, it took Noah 75 years to build the boat. Um, and when you read uh, uh, commentaries, uh, some say it was 100 years and some say it was 120 years. So you can go 75, 100, 120, we just say that's still a long time to be on one building project, right? Um, and it's, it's the longest act of obedience recorded in the Bible, right there. So I'd say, Noah, man, thank you for modeling that. Number four, one door for one large boat. Verse 16, leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. And by the way, there was no elevator. There was at the Ark Encounter for modern people, but back in the day, uh, no elevator. And so they had ramps in um, lower, middle, upper, what floor do you want to go on, Noah? I think I'll go on the third floor today. One door. One door. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, yes, I am the gate, the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. It's interesting in our culture today, even in Christian, we're getting so diluted thinking in a pluralistic way that if you're a Muslim, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Christian, all roads lead to heaven. That's not true. Because Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can get to my Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Heavenly Father. So do not believe the lie that all roads lead to heaven. It is not true at all. It is not what the Bible teaches. And God modeled that even on the ark. He put one door. One door. One door. No fire door. One door. One door. A model. The only way to get on the boat is through God, having a relationship with God. And one door. It's interesting that um, that door was kept open. When the boat was finished, which leads us to number five, the flood, verse seven. Or chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, they entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. A male and female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. 
Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Isn't that great news? You're in a world flood. You're in the boat that God commanded you to build, and it says that you're safe, just like God has you in his hands. My life is in your hands, Lord. There's no greater place to be. My life is in your hands. The boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks, higher than Mount Everest, 22 feet above. Notice the door was closed not by Noah, but by God. When God closes a door, no man can open it. But what's interesting is that door was open for seven days. Once Noah and his family got on the boat, God kept the door open for seven days, hoping, hoping more people would sign on and realize their need for God. For 75 years, 100 years, 120 years, while Noah's building that boat, he's telling people there's a flood coming, and they laughed at him and made fun of him. But there's nothing about how Noah's family had to endure the yells of the people that were drowning, the people that they knew, the people they loved, rejected God. And there was nothing they could do. It was too late. It was too late. So, how do you get all those animals on the boat, friend? Well, it's interesting. Even today, God places homing instincts within the animal kingdom. The um, monarch butterflies travel up to 3,000 miles every year. How do they get there? It's a homing instinct that God put in them. And when you look at um, the Canadian geese, uh, the whales, there's fish in the animal kingdom that God created. God put a homing instinct in them when it's time to go. Let's go, right? And so in the same thing with this flood, God put that homing instinct, okay, it's time to hit the boat. And they come marching in. Two by two. I love it. I love it. So, just a reminder, friend, one day when God closes the door, he's going to close it again. And the white throne judgment in Revelation 20, every person that's ever lived will stand before that white throne if their name is not in the book of life, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan goes in first. The false prophet and antichrist, boom, behind him and ultimately those whose names are not in the book of life. That's the judgment of God because there's a price to pay for rejecting him. You don't want him now, you're not going to spend eternity with him. Number six, God says, I promise, chapter 9, verse 8, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, 
and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you, never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures, never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. Notice it says, I have placed my rainbow. God copyrighted the rainbow. The rainbow is his. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. Pretty cool. Can we see that rainbow? In case you haven't seen a rainbow. Look at it. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Do you think they're just exclusive in the United States? No. They're all over the world. God is speaking through the rainbow of his promise never to flood the earth again. Has he kept his promise? Yes. Yes, he has. And it's interesting. As we look at Genesis 8, 18, so Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. What does Noah do? He's been on this boat for a year. He doesn't come out and say, hey, let's go shopping. Mm. I got my whole list here of things I need to do. No, no. The first thing he does, he builds an altar to the Lord and says, Lord, thank you. He worships the Lord for God's faithfulness and God's love. Now, that word covenant means pledge, divine ordinance. God promises And God has kept his promise. And you you realize that there are 5,467 promises in the Bible. Think about that. Is is that enough? And we have the privilege to be able to find them and use them. That God's heart, he promises. And the rainbow is a sign of his promise. Seven, God encourages me to step up. God encourages me to step up. In 2 Peter 3, so, so going back into history, Peter brings it up to the present, and he, he says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? 
From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. He brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So he's going back to the flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Peter is looking into the past. He's looking to the present and the future. God promised never to flood the earth, but the earth has an appointment to be destroyed by fire because God's going to create a new heaven and new earth. And judgment is coming just as it was in the days of Noah. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anybody to be destroyed, see? But wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Look at Noah and look at today. We know judgment's coming. How should you live? Like Noah or like the rest of the world? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. And we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless, uncontaminated in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. He's waiting. God's patient. He's waiting. He's calling. Put your faith in Christ. And Jesus himself, in Matthew 24, goes back to the flood. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the end. When Noah entered the boat, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. Is the Son of Man coming again? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Noah's life should be a life that we should follow. In John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am that gate, I am that door, that those who come in through me We'll be saved. You and I, friend, have an assignment from God, and that is to model the gospel of Jesus Christ, to model the character of Christ in our world today. And what I find interesting is God said only one boat with one door. He didn't say, hey, Noah, build five boats, seven boats. No, one boat. Jesus is the way this morning. Alice Cooper, for all you rock fans out there, Alice Cooper, shock rocker. Well, he became a follower of Jesus Christ a few years ago. 
And he was being interviewed, and he said, drinking beer is easy, trashing your hotel room is easy, but being a Christian, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. You've got to have a backbone to live for Jesus. And so the world has no quarrel with a compromising Christian, do they? The world loves believers who go along to get along and live like everybody else. This is not the time to do it. This is a time to be like Noah, blameless, uncontaminated, walking with God's favor upon your life. And you and I have the privilege of telling folks this great news, that God loves so much he wants to have a relationship with you. So, do you have a relationship with the Lord? Have you gone through that door, putting your faith in Christ for the ark of safety? Have you done that? Have you said, Jesus, I put all my trust in you. You died for my sins. You shed your blood so I can experience the forgiveness that you offer. Forgive me, Lord. I receive that free gift of salvation. The door's open. The door is open. Father, we thank you today for the example of Noah in those challenging days. And we recognize, Lord, that if, uh, if we think we can live our lives the way we want to, when we want to and how we want to, Lord, we break your heart because you created us to have a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning to look deep within our souls. How's it going? How's that relationship with God? The door to the boat is open. There's coming a day when God will close it and it's going to be too late. And what has God's Spirit been saying to you? What's He been saying to you personally this morning?